Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2017. This is Chris and David talking about steps four and five. Hi everyone, my name's Chris and I'm an alcoholic. And thank you to the committee for asking us to do this again this year. It's a great pleasure and um, keeps us sober. <laughs> um, I'll hand you over to David and we'll get going. Okay, hi, my name's David, I'm an alcoholic. And gee, I'm having a great time this weekend. I really, I've really enjoyed the speakers so far and just the variety and just the enthusiasm for this program and it's really great. Um, oh, this, uh, this, I love this presentation. This is a presentation about step four and uh, this is the third year that the Working With Others group, this magnificent group that I'm a member of, has been, has been running this, this uh, steps weekend here, the Melbourne AA steps weekend. But uh, the Melbourne AA Steps Weekend first started back in 2005. I was actually a member of a group in St Kilda, the Steps in St Kilda group. And that group and a bunch of other Steps groups got together and started putting on some uh, Steps Weekends similar to this in the city. And the first year we did it, there was a guy from the old Triangle group and he did a talk on Step 4 where he drew, drew on a whiteboard and, uh, and explained how to do it. And that first one was really successful, and the, but it was a really tiny venue. So the second year, we got a much bigger venue and had some audio-visual stuff. And someone said to me, you've got some uh, computer skills and stuff. Maybe you, instead of doing it on a whiteboard, you can do it on a big screen. And so back in 2006, we did first did this presentation. And it's been really amazing, actually. Since then, uh, we've been able to actually travel all around, all around the place uh, doing this presentation because people... You know, people keep on asking us, can you come and do it here? Can you come and do it here? And so yeah, we've been doing it for a while and it's something, this particular one, I really love because it, 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 what we're trying to do is take away some of the mystery about this fourth step because it's one of the things that you know, lots of us balk at this fourth step. So um, this is it. Um, so we're talking about the 12 steps and we've, been, we've looked at the first three. So the first one's about the problem. I need to understand what my problem is. And AA talks about those two aspects of it the physical craving and the mental obsession. I can't afford to drink because when I do it goes out of control and then even though I make this same decision not to drink, I keep on going back and doing it again and again. There's no hope in that first step. The hope comes in the second step where we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Now that step requires an open mind. If everything that I've tried to stop drinking has failed, I need an open mind, open enough to listen to what's working for you people. Even if it's you know, suggesting something really radical, like a spiritual program, which is what this is. The thing about this is I get to choose my own conception about what this higher power is. AA doesn't try and tell me what to believe, but it does suggest that I need to believe in something. But that thing is up to each individual. And for me, this step comes from inspiration. I go to meetings, I meet people who've recovered, and I think, well, maybe that can work for me. So then I come to a decision... Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And to me, that's a decision to try and live a spiritual life. Live by some spiritual principles, unlike the way I had been before, living like most other people do in the world, live on, on a selfish basis. So I'm making this decision to change the basis of my living, to start living a spiritual life. And for me, I'd never tried that before. So that third step for me is also a decision to go on with the rest of the program. I don't know how to live a spiritual life, so the next few steps are a series of spiritual exercises, ex exercises <coughs> that start me on that path. 
So then we get to these middle steps, often known as the house cleaning steps, where I have to get off my bum and do some work. Right? And where I really want to get to is those last three steps, you know, where I can start living in the solution. But to start, to start with, I've got to you know, get off my bum and do some work. The first one of those is this one, step four, taking inventory. So this is step four, where we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Now, when I was first around, you know, over 20 years ago, around Bendigo, Nolene talked about it last night, and uh, I can remember some, some people talking about this fourth step. I can remember one particular lady getting up and talking about uh, taking this fourth step. She wrote out her life story from her earliest memories and this, this had happened and then she went to school and then you know, the grandmother passed away and various things and, and wrote out this story of her life and was honest and thorough about it and that's the way she approached that fourth step. I heard other people talk about different approaches to this fourth step. I got sober before there was a World Wide Web but these days... If you Google AA Four Step, you'll find hundreds of thousands of pages with lots of advice about how to do it. Now, some of that advice is really good, but to me, a lot of it's really complicated. It makes it un, you know, really unnecessarily complicated. I was fortunate. Someone said to me, if you want to know how to do this fourth step, we'll try reading this book, okay? Because <laughs> okay. this is where the first one, when the first 100 members got sober, they wrote the book on how they did it. So it was suggested that I, that I, base this, that I do it this way. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go through this book and the description of this fourth step. Uh, <clears throat> so it says, now remember, at this point in the program, I've, I'm convinced I'm an alcoholic and I can't fix the problem on my own. I've got some hope that a higher power can help me and I make that, I've just made that decision to live a sober spiritual life. And then it actually says, we next launched out into a, a course of vigorous action. And this is what it says. Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. A business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding and fat-facing process. It is an effort to discover the truth about the stocking trade. One object is to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods, to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. We did exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, we searched out the flaws in our makeup which caused our failure. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us, we considered its common manifestations. So it says this is a fact-finding and fact-facing process, an effort to discover the, the truth about ourselves. Now, the thing about stopping drinking, I'm a real expert at stopping drinking. You heard last night, I did it over and over and over <laughs> again. And whenever I stopped drinking, life tended to get better. You know, because I'm not drinking and relationships start to improve because I don't have to lie and cover things up. You know, I'm able to get to work on time and those things. You know, the health's improve, improving. Life's getting better. But at the same time in early sobriety, there's this whole lot of stuff going on in my head. We talked about it last night, the, the excuses that I use a whole lot of resentment and blaming other people for where I ended up, a whole lot of fear about the future right? and a whole lot of guilt and remorse for the people that I've hurt and the bridges that I've burnt. Right? And I start think, thinking that I'm going to use those as an excuse. Right? And they also, there are things that are in my way, in my way, because I've just made this same decision to stop drinking and now I've made a decision that I want to live a spiritual life. And it's pretty hard 
to live a sober spiritual life if my head is all full of all that negative stuff. These are the obstacles to me living a spiritual life. I love what Anil was talking about this morning with his higher power being Ganesh, that, uh, the Indian god. Ganesh is the god of removing obstacles. That's why that... You know, <laughs> it's the god of removing obstacles. And this, this process of the fourth step, the fifth step, the sixth step, the seventh step, the eighth step, the ninth step, is about removing the obstacles for me living a sober spiritual life. So we're going to have a look at those obstacles. And the first of those is this one. Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease. For you've been not only mentally and physically ill, we've been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. So the first thing we suggest we look at is resentments. Now, I think this is a great place to start. First of all, because, as it says, it's the, it's the, most, you know, it's the, the number one offender. Okay? One of the biggest reasons for relapse is I start getting resentments against the world or I start getting a resentment against someone AA and I stop going to that meeting and then a different meeting I get a resentment there I stop going to that meeting as well. You know? <laughs> the other, thing, other reason I think it's a really good place to start is that it's a really easy place to start. These things come to mind really easily. The things that we're angry about come to mind really easily, especially in early recovery. Now, as we go through this, and Chris is reading, reading it out from the book, right, uh, you'll notice that most of it's highlighted in yellow. Now, the parts highlighted in yellow are the parts that describe why we need to do it and what will happen as we go through this process. But in amongst that, you'll notice we've highlighted certain parts, certain sentences in blue. Now, these are the sentences that, that are really a definite statement they're a statement of, this is what we did. Now, remember, this is written by the first 100 members who got sober. And so some of the, you know, in amongst this, all this text there, right, it seems pretty daunting when I first come to it, but in amongst that is this, these certain statements, this is what we did. And what was said to me is I go through this process, when I come across a sentence like that, then I should take that as an instruction. That's what they did, this is what I need to do. So the first instruction is this one. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. So, that's what I need to do. I need to set this on paper. So, how do I start my fourth step? Well, I start with a blank piece of paper. So, I've got this blank piece of paper and then I think, well, actually, I better do the dishes first. Or I get distracted. <laughs> or I, I find a new uh, interest in gardening or something. <laughs> no, I need, to, I need to do this. I need to do this. So, I've got this blank piece of paper and a pen. Now, the other thing to remember, by the time I've got to this point in the program, I've probably got a sponsor, okay? If I haven't, good idea to get one right, at this point. Uh, a sponsor, someone who's been through this process before and can give me specific guidance about how to do this, how to, how to do, do the, you know, the, the mechanical part of writing out this fourth step. So I've got a sponsor, you know, someone I can say, you know, this is what I'm up to, this is, what do I do next? And the other thing to remember with this step, as with every step, is that it's a spiritual exercise. And I can start this process, this fourth step, with a prayer. It can be a prayer just based on the, on the, uh, on the step itself to whatever higher power I believe in. You know, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the right frame of mind. So the prayer can be, God help me to be honest, fearless and thorough. Okay? So I've got the piece of paper, I'm in the right frame of mind, I want to be honest, fearless and thorough, and what do I need to do? We listed people, institutions or principles with whom we're angry. Now, this is pretty simple, isn't it? Okay, I'm going to make a list of people and things that I'm angry at. 
So think of the person in the world you're most angry at. Okay, you've got that name in your mind, okay? And you write that person's name down on a piece of paper. In this case, there's my boss, okay? Now, at, the mo at this point, I don't need to re think really hard about this, why that person came to mind. Right? I'll put the name down and forget about that person just for the moment and think of another name. So I'll put down Mr. Brown, uh, Mrs. Jones, my next door neighbour, uh, Jack from the pub gives me the shits. You know. I think back through time and that old high school science teacher back when I was 17 you know, embarrassed me in front of the class. I still remember how that felt. Uh, it can be people close to me like my wife or my sister-in-law. It mightn't be an individual person. It could be a group of people, say the police or the taxation department. It mightn't even be people at all. I can have a resentment against the principal. You know, I've got a resentment against speed limits. Now, everyone else should obey the speed limits, but I'm a really good driver and I don't like being, you know, don't like being late, so you know, it shouldn't apply to me. I don't like getting fined, okay? So I've got a resentment against speed limits or, say, tax laws. You know? And I keep on thinking of other things I have a resentment against, my mother bad drivers, and I put them onto my list until I can't think of any more. Now, this shouldn't take very long. You know, when I sponsor guys, you know, we'll do the third step together, we'll make that decision, take, do the third step, I'll hand them a piece of paper and say, here you go, because it says in the book we launch into this, this vigorous action. Start it right now and take it home, make that list. Next morning, think to yourself and say a prayer, is that everyone on the list? And now I've got my list, okay? Now, for some people, this is a very long list, and for other people, it's quite short. Now, I know one lady whose whole list was, four, was, was eight resentments. That these were the big resentments in her life. I know someone else who told me he had 280 people on his list. Okay? This is a guy who'd worked all over the world and hated everyone he met. Okay? <laughs> Probably hated them before he met them. Okay? But this, this list is unique to each one of us. And some of, them, some of us have a long list and others have a short list. But it's our list. Once I've got that down, I bring my sponsor and say, okay, I've made my list and I haven't left anybody out. What do I do next? We ask ourselves why we're angry. Okay, so I'm not, now I'm going to have a look at each one of them. I'm going to get an exercise book. I'm going to rule it up like this. The first column being who I'm resentful at and the second column being what is the cause of that resentment. Now notice I'm going to leave a whole lot of space over here on the right-hand side. We're going to need that later on. But to start with, I've got these two columns on the, on the left. So one by one, I take a name off my list. It doesn't really matter what order I do it in, as long as I do them all. So I'll grab, okay, Mr. Brown. What's the cause? Why am I angry at Mr. Brown? Well, I don't, don't like the way he pays attention to my wife. Uh, he told my wife about my mistress. That got me into lots of trouble. And Brown may get my job at the office. Let's just simply put that down. You know, just three little sentences there. In my head, it seems like three pages of stuff he did, right? But when I write it down, it's just these three headlines. Okay, I heard someone the other day say, there's just 17 words there about Mr. Brown, even though he's a bit of a prick, isn't he? <laughs> okay, so I write those things down, and now I can cross him off my original list. Okay, then I grab another name. So Mrs. Jones, she's a nut, she snubbed me, she committed her husband for drinking, and he's my friend. And she's a gossip. All good reasons not to like Mrs. Jones. Cross her off the list. Grab someone else, my employer. Unreasonable, unjust, overbearing. Is threatening to fire me for drinking and padding my expense account. Cross him off the list. Put down my wife. Misunderstands and nags and likes Mr. Brown. And wants to put the house in her name. And I continue on putting those names into my exercise book 
and crossing them off my original list. If I've got 280, I might need a second exercise book, but that's okay. They're only 48 cents in Coles. Yeah? And once I've got them all there into my book, I can throw the first piece of paper away. I don't need that anymore. But I've got my list, I've got my second column, and I ring my, my sponsor and I say, okay, I've written that second column, what do I do next? In most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore, we were burned up. On our grudge list, we set opposite each name our injuries. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal or sex relations, which had been interfered with? So the next thing we're going to look at is how this other person's actions have affected me. Right? What, how, what part of my life? And once again, it's given us this key set of key words to look for. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal or sex relations which have been interfered with? So this next column is really simple as well. It's a really simple process, this. We do one column at a time. So the next column is what part of me was affected and I pick out one or more of those key words and I just write that word down here. So, Mr Brown, his attention to my wife, that's affected my sex relations with my wife and also my self-esteem because I'm worried she likes him better than she likes me. There's fear involved with that because I'm worried she might actually run off with him. He told my wife about my mistress, that's affected my sex relations and my self-esteem. I didn't want people to know about that, I was trying to keep that secret. Brown may get my job at the office, that's affected my security, that's you know, roof over my head, money in my pocket type security. If he gets my job, I might be demoted or even out of a job altogether. And it's also affecting my self-esteem because I'm worried the boss likes him better than he likes me. Mrs Jones, that's affected my personal relationship with her, maybe other people. It's also my self-esteem, I don't like being snubbed by people. My employer, that's affected my self-esteem and my security because he's threatening to fire me. My wife, that's affected my pride, my personal and sex relations, and the part about wanting the house in her name is affecting, uh, is affecting my security. As I said, it's a simple process, picking out one or more of those key words. I think it's a really important column, though, because it sh starts to shift the focus. Those first two columns are about the other person and what they did. But in the end, I want to learn something about myself. So this column starts shifting the focus away from those other people onto me. You'll notice we haven't really learned anything new here. This is all information that I already have there in my head. I know who it was that hurt me. I know what they did to me. Right? And I know how, how much it hurt me. Now I want to point out that this so far, this example, is straight out of the AAP book. Straight out of that book. Page 65, you'll, you'll see Mr Brown, Mrs Jones, the employer and the wife. Okay? This is not my personal inventory I'm putting up on the big screen. I wouldn't put my personal inventory on a big screen in front of a whole bunch of people I don't know. Now, remember, this fourth step is a really personal thing between me and a piece of paper and my higher power and nobody else. Okay. Now, the book doesn't actually take this example any further. So from here on in, what we're going to show you is our best guess about what this guy in the book would have put in the rest of his inventory. Okay. We went back through our lives. Nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. When we were finished, we considered it carefully. The first thing apparent was that this world and its people were often quite wrong. To conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse and then we were sore at ourselves. 
But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got, as in war the victor only seemed to win. Our moments of triumph were short-lived. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to fertility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile. But with the alcoholic, whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. we found that it is fatal. For when harbouring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit, the insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again. And with us, to drink is to die. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things are poison. This is really pointing out how dangerous uh, resentments are to alcoholics. It actually points out for, for anyone, for anyone in life, if their life is full of resentment and anger, it makes a pretty miserable life. For an, but for an alcoholic, it's even worse because it leads us back to that insanity, that insanity that we talked about last night the insanity of picking up that first drink again. I remember uh, when I was first around, I, I ended up uh, in, a, in a rehab and, and, and start, um, in a detox. Um, so, no, before I was around AA. The first time I went into a detox, uh, it was about 20, 26 years ago, at a place called Pleasant View. And it wasn't pleasant, didn't have a view. It was a <laughs> terrible place. It was about 25 guys all in one big open ward, one big open... Uh, ward and the snoring and stuff while we're all detoxing at night was terrible. But I've come out of there absolutely determined never to drink again. The humiliation of that and, the, and, and it was just terrible. I'm never, ever going to drink again. And uh, ten, I stayed sober for about 10 weeks and life was getting better. Life was getting much better. 10 weeks sober. Really proud of the fact that I hadn't had a drink for 10 weeks. And I went, decided to go up to Echuca to where my parents lived at the time and, uh, and, you know, just to see them. And I thought when I got there that they'd give me a pat on the back and say, 10 weeks sober, that's fantastic, keep up the good work. But when I got there, that's not what I got. What I got was, how do we get to see the grandchildren now that your wife has left you? When are you going to get a job? When are you going to pay back the money that you owe us? So instead of praise, I got all this grief and you know, instant resentment. How dare they treat me this way? They don't realise how hard this is to stay sober. And I was there a couple of days. I caught the train back to Melbourne. And, uh, you know, the old Savoy Hotel opposite Spencer Street Station? You know, that's what came to mind. I got off the train. I'll show you. And I walked across the road into the Savoy Hotel and had a drink. Now, of course, I've got the, I'm an alcoholic, and that would set off the craving. Pretty soon, my drinking's back the way it was before, and the 10 weeks is down the, down the drain. Here I am, 10 weeks sober, proud of the fact that I hadn't had a drink. Most important thing in my life is don't drink. I get a resentment and I find myself drinking again. So what's a resentment? A re resentment is every time I think about this person, the person in the first column there, what immediately comes to mind is the list of nasty things they've done to me. That's that second column. And then I, and then I think about how much that hurt me. I re-feel the hurt. That's what a resentment is. It's re-feeling the hurt. And my, my next thought was normally, this guy's a bastard, isn't he? Okay. He did all those nasty things to me in that second column. And it hurt me. I refeel the hurt again. And I think to myself, this guy's a bastard. <laughs> he did all those nasty things to me. <laughs> and it hurt me, the bastard. And round and round and round it goes in the head. And the longer I think about it, the worse he gets. 
He's just this bastard that does all this. Nah, he's just he's just evil. And the more innocent I get, I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> and I start praying that he gets hit by a bus. You know? And then I, I start I start rerunning it and thinking, when he said this, I should have said that. You know? It goes round and round. Then I start thinking about the next time. The next time he's critical of me, I'm going to point out what all he... Anyone identifying with this stuff? Right? It's going round and round in my head. I'm lying awake, can't sleep. He's at home, you're not thinking about me, peacefully sleeping away. And this other thought comes into my head. Oh, look, if I have a drink, at least I'll be able to forget about him temporarily. And for lots of people, that works. Lots of people, that works. You know, you've got to present some stress in their life. They have a couple of drinks... It can't, you know, they're able to forget about it a little while and actually quite, can be quite helpful for lots of people but not for me because I have that couple of drinks and I can't stop at a couple of drinks and it goes out of control and I get drunk and the next day I arrive at work late and hungover and all my problems have now got puppies. Okay? It's, so I need to get out of this resentment. At this point I need to be, get out of it long enough to learn something about myself. So how do I do that? We turn back to the list for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had power to actually kill. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. This was our course. We realised that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. We asked God to help us show them the same tolerance and pity, tolerance, pity and patience that we would chiefly grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, This is a sick man, how can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry, thy will be done. We avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We could not be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. So it suggests we turn back to the list. And this time I'm going to try and take a different attitude to this person. And it's suggesting that I'm going to ask God something. How do I ask God something? Well, it's suggesting that I say a prayer. And it's not that prayer that he gets hit by a bus, it's a different prayer. (laughs) So at this point, I don't need to write anything down. I can put the pen down, and, but, go, but I go back through my list one by one and think about each of these people on the list. And I think about Mr Brown, and I say that prayer, God save me from being angry, how can I be helpful to him? And I think about Mrs Jones, God save me from being angry, how can I be helpful to her? And I think about my employer, and perhaps through gritted teeth reluctantly, God save me from being angry at the bastard. <laughs> I do it anyway because it's a spiritual exercise. I do it as an ex- a spiritual exercise. How can I be helpful to him? And I think about my wife. God save me from being angry. How can I be helpful to her? And I go right through my list. Now this is a reminder that this step, as with every step, is a spiritual exercise. It's a spiritual exercise. I've never done this before. I actually prayed for, you know, prayed for someone and I've got this resentment for. It starts shifting my thinking. It's interesting, sometimes as we write down that second column, I, start, I write down what happened, what that person did, and I read it back to myself. And just writing it down and reading it back, I can see it in black and white. I can see how ridiculous 
some of those resentments are. And just at that point, some of them just disappear. How ridiculous and petty was that? Others are a bit tougher. And just writing it down and reading them back isn't going to make them disappear. But it's, it's when I say this prayer that it starts to lift. Others are even tougher still. And I might have some justification for them. Uh, but, and so that, this prayer isn't going to shift it. But that, remember, this is just the fourth step. This is just the fourth step, step, the beginning of the process. Those tougher ones, I might, you know, I might need to go through step five, step six, step seven, step eight, and perhaps step nine before some of those tougher ones start to, start to you know, disappear altogether. But at least I've made a start by going, taking that spiritual exercise, saying that prayer for each person on the list. Once I've done that, I ring my sponsor and say, OK, I've done it, I've said a prayer for everyone on the list, what do I do next? Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely look for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking and frightened? Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. So the next thing we do, we go back through again. And this time I'm looking for something that I'd never looked for before. I'm looking for my mistakes. Okay. Actually, two things I'm looking for. My mistakes. What did I do or fail to do that contributes, contributes to this, reputa- uh, this uh, uh, resentment? And the second thing is our faults which are sort of the underlying defects of character. And once again, it's given us these key words to look for. Where have, where have we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking and frightened? I'm looking for those four key words. So I go back through my list and I think about each one. So Mr Brown, his attention to my wife, what's my mistake? I've been neglecting my wife. And I give it one of those labels. Okay, I'm being selfish. Now it could be that Mr Brown's doing the wrong thing. Right, that he's you know, a bit of a sleaze and he's trying to move in on, on my wife. But I've got to look at my mistakes. Well, I'm you know, down the pub all the time getting drunk, so that's given him the opportunity because I'm not at home. On the other hand, it could all be in my head that he's just a, ni- you know, he's, he's just a nice guy and occasionally has a cup of, co- cup of coffee with my wife because she's lonely because I'm down the pub all the time. Right? We're not worried about his actions or his motives. You know, I'm looking for my mistake. I'm being inconsiderate. I'm neglecting my wife. He told my wife about my mistress. What's my mistake? That one's really obvious. I was unfaithful. I was being dishonest. Brown may get my job at the office. Well, I was busy looking after myself rather than doing my job properly. So I'm being self-seeking. Mrs Jones, she's a nut. She snubbed me. Well, I was inconsiderate to her. You know, She's the next-door neighbour. I've come home late at night one night, you know, uh, drunk, singing at the top of my voice and slamming car doors. The next day, I stood in the street and waved at her. Hi, Mrs. Jones. And she didn't wave back at me. A cow. No? I have a resentment on her for a couple of weeks because she didn't wave at me in the street. When I look at it, although I was inconsiderate to her before, so I'm being selfish. She committed her husband for drinking and he's my friend. Now, what's that got to do with me? Surely that's between her and her husband. Well, I'm afraid that might happen to me. So it's my own fear of that happening to me that's generating that, that resentment. I'm frightened. And she's a gossip. Now, maybe she is that neighbourhood gossip and well, telling tales around the place. What's my mistake? Well, I've done things I don't want other people to, to know about. 
If I hadn't have done those things I'm ashamed of, I wouldn't be worried about her gossiping about me. So I'm being dishonest. My employer, unreasonable, unjust, overbearing. Well, I was unreliable, being selfish. He's threatened, threatening to fit fire me and for drinking and padding my expense account. Once again, my mistake is really obvious. I was doing those things he's accusing me of. I was drinking on the job and stealing. So being dishonest. The wife misunderstands and nags, likes Brown. I don't pay any attention to her, being selfish. Wants the house in her name. Well, I put my job in jeopardy by drinking and stealing. So she's just looking after her own security there. Once again, being dishonest. And I go through this process, and for me, this was a whole, whole new way of looking at my life. The way that I acted and the way that I reacted to other people in my life. Now, you notice as we went through this, the first thing we did is we made that list. We didn't go on to the second column until we completed that first list. We went down the column. Then we went down the column and worked out the cause of each of those. Then we went down the column and worked out what part of me was affected. Then we went down the column and worked out and said a prayer for every person on the list. Then we went down the column and worked out what my mistake was. The reason I'm really emphasising that is because that's AA's experience is this is the best way of doing it. Sometimes people attempt this and they try, go, try going across the page and they get to one particular resentment and it's just so painful they get stuck. Either, either looking at the second column where we're looking at what the other person did or at the fourth column where I'm looking at my mistakes. We just get stuck and overwhelmed. Right? So, but doing it this way where we go down the column, down the column, down the column, it seems a better approach. It sort of unfolds sequentially. I can open, like opening a map. I've got to open it this way first before I can open it that way and then I can see the whole picture. So that's our, that's our resentment list, but there's more. Notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr Brown, Mrs Jones, the employer and the wife. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. But did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper even <coughs> though we had no resentment in connection with them. So the next thing it suggests we look at is our fears. Uh, so I need, this is what do I need? I need a list of fears. Where do I get this list from? Well, I've already identified a whole lot of fears as I went through my resentment list. There's fear here and here and here all the way through. So what I need to do is look at each one and sort of give them a name, actually name what these fears are and make this new list. So there's a fear that my wife will leave me. There's a fear of being lonely if the wife leaves and I lose the mistress as well. There's a fear of failure. There's a fear that people will find out about the things that I've done. There's a fear of confrontation with my boss and probably other people on my resentment list. There's a fear of financial insecurity. So this is the basis of my new list, the list of fears. And then I can think, is there any other fears that I have that sort of didn't come up in my resentment list? And I can add those to the end. So I'll put down fear of meeting new people, fear of success. I'm in trouble there. I've got a fear of success and a fear of failure, so I'm screwed there. Okay. <laughs> now, once again, for some people it's a really long list and for other people it's a short list. I know some people have a really long list of resentments. They're very angry people and not so many fears. And other people, not so many resentments but lots and lots of fears. You know, There's lots of different types of personalities in AA. There's no such thing as an alcoholic personality. There's lots of us. Alcoholism is a physical, starts as a physical 
physical disease. Right. So I've got this list of fears, and what do I do with that? We asked ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. Okay, so I need to ask myself why I have each of these fears. So this is my next column. Why do I have the fear? How did I set the ball rolling? Now, this is really similar to the fourth column in the resentment list. I'm looking for my mistakes. So I look at each one and say, okay, well, I've been neglecting my wife. Uh, my selfishness has screwed up relationships in the past. That's why I'm, I'm worried I'll end up with no one. I give up before the job is done. I've hurt people and stolen stuff. I don't stand up for my principles. I've been reckless. I have prejudices. I try to be self-reliant rather than trusting in the higher power. Perhaps there is a better way. We think so. For we are now on a different basis. The basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We're in the world to play the role he assigns. Just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us. And humbly rely on him. Does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? We never apologise to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality, the way of weakness, paradoxically is the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith, all men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologise for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once, we commence to outgrow fear. There's a little promise there. This is the beginning of outgrowing fear. The instruction there is we're going to ask our higher power something. So once again, it's suggesting that I say a prayer. So I say a prayer about each one. Now, there's two parts of the prayer. In fact, lots of the prayers in the, in the big book, there are two parts. We ask God to do something, and then we're asking what he wants us to do. So in this case, we're asking God to remove the fear and then saying, well, what would my God have me be? Okay? And it doesn't specific specifically say I need to write this down but it's certainly something I should think about and I might want to write something down here as well so I think about each one and say okay uh, my higher power wants me to be faithful wants me to be loving wants me to be hopeful wants me to be honest wants me to be courageous wants me to be responsible wants me to be compassionate and wants me to be humble now, this can be a really uplifting exercise, this is. Right? Sometimes we approach the fourth step as if it's, you know, it's going to be a really negative experience. I'm going to draw, you know, uh, think about all those negative things from the past. But this is a, is a really positive experience. You know, all those resentments, all those resentments are all about the past. That's what a resentment is. It's something that's happened in the past that I, that I keep re-feeling. Now, fear is not about the past. Fear is about the future. It's, fear is the things that I'm worried is, are going to happen in the future. They're usually based on past experience, but it's about the future. Now, remember, at this point, I've just made this decision, this decision to live a sober, spiritual life. So what would that look like? If I start out on this new path, what sort of person does my higher power want me to be? What sort of qualities does he want in my life instead of the way I've been behaving in that second column? 
So it's this uplifting exercise, looking to the future in a new way, to a sober spiritual life. So that's my fears list. But wait, there's more. Now about sex. (laughs) Many of us need an overhauling there. But above all, we try to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get way off the track. Here we find human opinions running to extremes, absurd extremes perhaps. One set of voices cry that sex is the lust of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. Then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think we do not have enough of it, or that it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. One school would allow man no flavour for his fare, and the other would have us all on a straight pepper diet. We want to stay out of this controversy. We do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. We all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. What can we do about them? We reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion or bitterness? Where were we at fault? Should we have what should we have done instead? We got this all down on paper and looked at it. So the next thing it suggests we look at is our intimate relationships. Now we know that intimate relationships can be the source of some of the greatest joy in our lives, but when they go wrong, some of the greatest pain. So I can learn a lot about myself by looking at these things. It goes to great lengths to point out that AA isn't the arbiter of this. AA isn't the judge of this. It's not about, you know, it's not... AA's rules or my sponsor's rules or my mother's rules or my priest's rules, right? It's my own conscience I need to look at here. Right? It does say it's a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And to me that means I need to look at this, my behaviour and make an assessment of that based on my values and my values. So I'm going to need another list, a list of relationships. Okay, so I'll put down my first girlfriend, Barry's girlfriend... That fling in 1994, my wife and my mistress. Now, once again, for some people it's a very long list and for other people it's quite short. For some people it's alarmingly long and for other people it's disappointingly short. That's his only <laughs> joke, that's it. But it's our own list. It's our own list. It's a great, the great thing about this, this, this process, you know, our, each, for each of us, our, our list is unique. Our, each of those lists are unique to each one of us. Okay, my list is different from your list. My resentment list and my fears list is different from your list and from your list. Right? But it's what tailors the rest of the programs to specifically to me. The process of the, of the 12 steps is the same for everyone, but the details, the particulars are different right? because we've got different lives, have, have had different experiences. So I do this fourth step and it's tailored, the rest of the programs tailored specifically to me for my fifth step and my sixth step and my seventh step and my eighth step and my ninth step and on. So, a bunch of questions in the book I need to ask myself about each of these relationships. Who did I hurt? Did I arouse jealousy, suspicion or bitterness? Where was I selfish, dishonest or inconsiderate? I'm looking for those three key words. Selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate. Where was I at fault and what should I have done instead? So once again, I'm looking for my mistakes. Very, once again, really similar to that fourth column in the, in the resentment or the, uh, that second column in the fears. 
I'm looking, uh, so I'll look at each one, so that first girlfriend. Now what caused all the arguments and the eventual breakup of that relationship? Well, I threatened to dump her if she didn't have sex more often. That was the big issue in that relationship. So I'm gonna give it one of those labels, okay, I was being selfish. One of the questions there was, what should I have done instead? Well, I should have respected her wishes. Barry's girlfriend flirted with her, caused jealousy, hurt Barry as well. So I was being inconsiderate. What could, should I have done differently? Well, I should have considered their relationship. That fling in 1994, <coughs> don't even remember her name. I lied to her about my intentions. I'm being dishonest. Now, why was I lying to her? Well, probably to get something out of the relationship. Who knows, if I had been honest, it might have happened anyway. So I should have been honest with her. Now, not all relationships end up badly. I might have relationships that's fine and dandy. That's great. And I just, if that's the case, I just write it down like that. But given that alcoholism and the things that we do while we're drinking you know, interfere with good relationships, you know, it's not likely that we have really wonderful relationships at the end of our drinking. This one started out great, but ended up being inconsiderate and unfaithful. Caused suspicion and bitterness. So I need to give it a label. Okay, I was selfish and I was inconsiderate and I was dishonest. Got all three. Got the trifecta with that one. And once again, what should I have done instead? Now, I'm thinking about this based on just on my assessment of the way I've been behaving. I should have spent more time with her, should have listened to her, should have been faithful. The mistress, I lied to her about being married, being dishonest, probably shouldn't have started that relationship. So once again, probably. <laughs> so once again, <laughs> once again, I've looked at the past. I've looked at the past to learn something about myself and what do I do? In this way, we try to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We've subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? We ask God to mould our ideals and help us to live up to them. We remembered always that our sex powers are God-given and therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, provided that we do not bring about still more harm in so doing. In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. In meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. So it's, now we're going to try and shape a sane and sound ideal for our future. And I can write this down. This my ideal for the future suggests that I that I pray about it. Now what goes down here can be quite specific to my own particular beliefs, my own preferences, my own circumstances in life. So for example, a married middle-aged guy who wants to rebuild his marriage might put down certain specific things about what needs to change, which could be a bit different from a young single woman who has some ideas about short-term relationships and other ideas about longer ones, which would be very different from, say, a nun I mean, a nun might just put down, continue with my celibacy, I'm doing a great job. Right? So there's a, I'm reminded, just last Tuesday, we did this presentation in a rehab, we did it, and someone up the way went, she's a nun? In the, re in the rehab, she was there, the nun, in the rehab. Okay. Okay. She, was, she was detoxing, so she'd fallen asleep. And she, she missed it. Anyway. Uh, so, but I, I, what I can put down here needs to be quite specific, but I'm not going to be really specific in this case, I'm, but I can think about some sort of generic ideas about, you know, having looked at the way I've behaved in the past, 
what sort of person does my higher power want me to be? What sort of quality does my higher power want me to bring, either to repair broken relationships or into new relationships as they form? So my higher power wants me to be honest, wants me to be considerate, wants me to be dependable, wants me to be selfless, and above all, wants me to be loving. So once again, there's this uplifting exercise. I've looked at all the damage from the past and now I'm looking to the future in this new way because I'm now on this spiritual path to stay sober. Now the next uh, bit of reading is actually, now we've set these really high standards for ourselves in, in terms of our sex life and other things as well. We've set this really high standard. And we've got to remember that not only are we alcoholic, we're human and we might not quite live up to them. Uh, I'll get Chris to read this part with, and, and with no comment about it. So this is... Uh, uh, This is the advice from the book. God alone can judge our sex situation. Cancel with persons is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. We realise that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We we avoid hysterical thinking or advice. Suppose we fall (coughs) short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Does this mean we are going to get drunk? Some people tell us so, but this is only a half-truth. It depends on us and on our motives. If we are sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and will have learned our lesson. If we are not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to drink. We are not theorising. These are facts out of our experience. To sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity, and for the strength to do the right thing. If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache. We've come a long way with those three lists, but I've got one more list to make. If we have been thorough about our personal inventory, we have written down a lot. We have listed and analysed our resentments. We have begun to comprehend their fertility and their fatality. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We have begun to learn tolerance, patience and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies. For we look on them as sick people. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. So, as it says, we've come a long way with those, with those lists. We've got one this last list. It says we've got a list of people we've hurt by our conduct. Now, in fact, when we get to step eight, it says we have a list. We made it when we took inventory. So I want to make sure we have this list. So this is my last list. Who did I harm and what was the harm done? Where do I get this list from? Well, once again, I can go back through the previous list and get reminded. So, Mrs Jones, uh, I was inconsiderate to her. My employer... I stole from it. My wife, I neglected her, made her worry about security. Notice I'm not going to put down Mr Brown on this list. I've got a resentment against him, but when, I've looked, when I look at what's happened there, I haven't actually done anything to hurt Mr Brown yet. Okay? His second <laughs> just joke. Just to point out, just because someone's on my resentment list doesn't automatically mean that I need to make amends to them eventually. Okay? Uh, in my fears list, I might, that might remind me of someone else, my sister-in-law I stole from. And my, my uh, relationship list, lots of people there. First girlfriend, Barry's girlfriend, Barry, the girl from 1994 and the mistress. 
And then I can think, is there any other people that I've harmed that didn't come up on the previous list and add those in? There's the hotel in Sydney I left without paying a bill. My brother, when I was 10 years old, I stole his watch and broke it. Didn't own up, it was me. Uh, now, for some people, who really cares? It's a $10 watch all those years ago. But for some, for some of us, that's that guilty thing from all those years ago we can hold on to a long time. Fact-finding and fact-facing, I put that down. My ex-work colleague, I blamed him for, st for stealing stationery, which got him fired. I didn't resent him. He was just the most convenient person to blame at the time, and I've really done him a lot of damage. So there's our four lists. Resentments, fears, sex conducts, and the harm done. In this book, you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. If you have already made a decision and an inventory of your grosser handicaps, you have made a good beginning. That being so, you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. So this is the beginning. But it is just the beginning. It's just the fourth step. But you know, we've, it's a really good beginning. I can remember actually finishing this, my fourth step. Uh, having, having the exercise book in my hot little hands going, wow, I've actually done this. Uh, the 12 and 12 says this is the first tangible evidence of our complete willingness to move on. It was when I completed the, the fourth step that I really knew that I'd taken the third step. It's the third step. I've done something that I didn't particularly want to do, but I knew that my higher power and the program was suggesting that I needed to do in order to move forward. So remember, this is a spiritual exercise. It's not an intellectual exercise, not a psychological exercise. It's a spiritual exercise. So I need to be honest and I need to be fearless. Now, I'm not particularly honest and I'm not particularly fearless. In fact, as I do this, I find out a lot more about how dishonest and full of fear I really am. That's why I need those first three steps before I get here. And the other thing is I need to be thorough. You know, I can make a lot of mistakes with this. The spelling doesn't have to be right. I don't have to rule it up with the right colour pen and dot all the I's. And some people do, but you need to do it or think they do. And that's okay if that's your thing. But the only really big mistake is if I deliberately leave something out. Some fear, some resentment, some harm I've done to someone else and I think that one, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that one out. That's the one that's likely to trip me up. Being thorough means I don't leave anything out of the first column. It doesn't mean writing reams and reams and paragraph and paragraph and pages about these things. It means don't leave anything out of the first column and keep the rest of it simple. This whole process is a simple process. It's about making a list and saying a prayer and looking at myself. Making a list and saying a prayer and looking at myself. I was in this rehab. five other guys in this it was a little sort of dry house in Bendigo staff there during the day, a bit of a program, and uh, at night we were left on our own and expected to go to AA meetings, you know, part of the deal. And uh, I started going to the meetings and I got inspired to do this. One of the guys left, finished his three months, the other four all busted and were thrown out. And I'm left in this little house in Bendigo with, in this rehab with nothing better to do than to sit down at the kitchen table and write this thing out. And there was nothing better I could have done. And over a couple of days, that's what I did. And then I needed to move on to step five. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. I had to choose someone to do that with. The big book suggests that the person needs, needs to be trustworthy and understanding. Actually, I want to point this out too. It's at this point in the program that I choose this. I didn't make this decision about who I do a fifth step with until after I'd done the fourth step. 
I found that really useful because as I, when I was writing the fourth step, I kept on thinking, I had one person in mind, and I kept on thinking about how that person would react when I did a fifth step. And I, th I found that was a, this a dishonesty, you know, this, uh, this creeping in. So when I put that out of my mind, I don't make this decision, this fifth step decision, until I finish the fourth step. And then I find someone trustworthy and understanding. And the book says to we waste no time. We pocket our pride and go to it with that fifth step and the rest of the program. Let, thanks for letting me share. Information about the annual Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available from www.stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au. Thanks for letting us share.